I'm Kate Daniels. We perhaps don't give a lot of thought to fertility and pregnancy and building a family, although as little girls we play with our dolls and dreaming of being a mommy someday. But with the way life has changed, careers, finances, and simply life itself, a woman, a couple, might find themselves moving forward on life's path and hitting a bump in the road. That bump, some difficulty getting pregnant. Dr. Julie Lamb is an endocrinologist and infertility specialist at Pacific Northwest Fertility in Seattle. I feel we're so fortunate to have Dr. Lamb join us this morning to share important insights and aspects about our biology, how our body works in terms of fertility and getting pregnant. The earlier in life we learn this, the better I think that we're going to find life evolves for us. So let's meet Dr. Lamb to discover just that. Dr. Julie Lamb, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Thanks for having me. I am just grateful to have this opportunity because I think that this conversation that we are about to have may have some solutions, may have uh, gifts in it for some numerous people families in our area, maybe beyond our area, but certainly here in the Puget Sound area. So let's get started, Dr. Lamb, with just finding out why it is that you are the director of the Center for Fertility Preservation here at Pacific Northwest Fertility. Not why you got to be that, but why are you doing this work? Uh, That's a great question. Kate, this work is really important. You know, I think a lot of people are delaying childbearing for whatever the reason, waiting for the right partner or working through school or, you know, kind of moving up the career ladder. And I think that there's, in one generation, we've kind of gone from having babies in our 20s to having babies in our late 30s and early 40s. And unfortunately, our fertility um, isn't as good later in life. And so it allows women the opportunity to kind of learn about their options and um, put their fertility on ice a little bit, kind of stop that biological clock in case they do have difficulty conceiving uh, when they're ready to build their family. And that's a really good point about that biological clock, because so often we've heard like, oh, no, it's clicking and ticking away. So now there's a way to actually put it on pause, it seems. Right, right. So it's certainly not a perfect science, but it's the best way that medicine gives us um, to kind of put that on hold for a few years. And so optimally... When we look at putting that on hold, what's actually going on? Because fertility, as you said, begins to decline, is there a suggestion? You know, I was reading about uh, capturing the eggs that that women have and freezing them. Right. Yeah, so that's exactly right. So, you know, by the time we're 35, half of our eggs are abnormal, and by 40, it's close to 80%. So it just becomes, even though we, you know, look young and we feel young and we're really healthy, it just doesn't equal good fertility. So talking to a fertility specialist before you get to that point, if you want to build a family someday or you think you might, allows us to have kind of that conversation and teach women about that. It's kind of an unknown biological fact of how the body works that none of us pay attention to. I think because we feel so young and we're so healthy and and we see it in the media and everyone's having babies later in life and it just looks easy when in fact that's not the case. And so it allows women to undergo a process which is essentially similar to IVF where we grow the eggs and mature them inside the body 
and very gently remove them and um, put them on ice or freeze them until they're ready to build that family. So the process is actually creating more eggs than uh, do exist within the body? Yes. Well, um, it works with the cohort of eggs you have. So every month you have a small group of eggs that starts to grow and one ovulates and that rest die away. So that's what IVF does is it gets that group that would normally die away in a given month to grow and mature inside the woman um, and so that we could save them for the future. Not every egg makes a baby, and so saving more than one, if you're going to have them taken out, is the goal there. Um, but that's why it doesn't affect future fertility. It's because we're only rescuing the group that would die away in a given month. It doesn't use up your eggs faster or anything like that. So it would be uh, a repeated process, of, say, over the course of a year or longer? Um, usually women do it once or twice. It depends on how long they're going to delay fertility and how old they are and often things like insurance coverage for this kind of thing. Um, but often it happens over one or two months. Oh, okay. So we've kind of jumped ahead and you mentioned, you know, speaking with a fertility specialist. So we might find ourselves actually in our 30s and realizing that, oh no, it's not so easy to get pregnant. Is it something to plan actually in the 20s and start to really retrieve those eggs at that point so that uh, 10 years down the line, we could do something? Yeah, so oftentimes in our 20s, we don't have a a good enough idea about when we're going to create our families or if we want to delay. So it becomes much more cost effective to do it in kind of the early 30s because a woman's much more likely to need those eggs. Certainly, if you have benefit and you're in your late 20s and you're wanting to do this, like it's very reasonable to do it at any point. But when you do it in your 20s, you're just less likely to have to need those eggs. Right. Although if you're thinking that, okay, I'm not ready to have a child now, but optimally, let's think about that. What would be the most ideal age frame to become pregnant and have the child or children? Yeah, so, I mean, that optimal age is different for everybody, but certainly considering those things before you're 35 is a good idea, especially, you know, and if you're going to delay later than that, then thinking about, okay, what are my preservation options? Um, Or if you're having difficulty by age 35, you know, talking to a fertility specialist and say, hey, you know what, I'm already having difficulty with baby number one. What are my fertility preservation options in case I'm having difficulty with number two? someday. It doesn't get easier as we get older. It just gets more to be more of a challenge. And so is that what often happens is there is a challenge and then maybe the woman is able to get pregnant, but it has eggs for that potential second child. Right. 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 Yep. Exactly. Exactly right. So when a woman has eggs and she's set them aside for family building and she has a partner and she's ready to achieve her family, then she kind of returns to that fertility specialist and has a conversation, you know, these are my family building goals and, and I'm ready to have a baby now. And often, you know, she could try on her own and not need those eggs that are frozen and save them in case she's having difficulty with number two at, you know, 37 or 38. So at this point, it's really important to state how exciting it is that this specialty exists. And really here in the Puget Sound area, we're so fortunate to have this so readily available. Right. Right? Right. 
yes, it's a huge resource. It's kind of the next thing in women's reproductive health and choice. You know, we think about, you know, procreating and options, and we spend our whole life, you know, trying not to get pregnant in our early 20s and 30s. And now this kind of, um, you know, puts the control into the woman's hand on the other side of the reproductive window. You know, it's the next thing since birth control, kind of, (laughs) and giving women that choice about when they want to build their family. And to know that you can have these consultations, have a really educated, informed conversation about this, so to be able to make these really intelligent plans for the future. No matter what your plans are, no one will ever fault you for coming in and talking about it and learning about your options. I certainly think that a big part of my job is just increasing awareness in our community about how fertility does change with age and um, providing access to that information. You know, we don't learn this in school. I don't even think I learned it in medical school, how eggs change over time. So there's a big gap. And, you know, in one generation, we went from having babies pretty young to having babies a little bit older. And because of that, it affects fertility. And the information just hasn't kind of caught up with that change that happened relatively quickly. So you mentioned something about the egg changing uh, without getting into a lot of science, which we don't need to know all about. But what actually does happen? Yeah, so actually women are born with all their eggs. So when you're born, your eggs that you're going to have for your whole life are in that ovary. And that's very different than our male counterpart that makes new sperm every day of their life. Even into their you know 50s and 60s, they're making new sperm every day. So our eggs sit in our ovaries, and by the time we go through puberty, most of them are gone. And by the time you go through menopause someday, they're all gone. And it's just not a renewable resource. And as they sit in there, they age, and they're affected by environmental things like smoking, and they're affected by genetic things like when our mom, you know, had her last kid and uh, when she went through menopause. All those things affect the egg. So the quality of the egg goes down with age, and it's just, you know, unlike wine, they don't improve with age. They, they, you know, increase the number of chromosomal abnormalities with age. And I think that part maybe we have had some awareness about. Right. Yeah, that's the awareness that we, you know, need to spread and tell women. Like, even though, you know, I think a common misconception, I see a 40-year-old woman and she feels like because she's super healthy and she looks young and she feels young, it's going to equal good fertility. And that's just not the case, unfortunately. So in the last decade, though, there's been what I would consider an astronomical change in terms of being able to retrieve the eggs and save them for a future time. Yes, correct. That's very much the case. And that is happening right here in Seattle. Yes, and that change happened with the the spread of vitrification. So there's a technique in freezing the egg or freezing an embryo, and it's a fast freezing method, and that method is called vitrification. And that's what made it more readily available, and it's becoming less cost prohibitive and Um, Insurance companies um, are starting to think about covering it for their employees or companies are thinking about offering that benefit. So it's become more readily available even in the last couple years. And you were mentioning fast freezing. That seems to be critical here. Yes. Yes. So when you're looking or considering doing this, you want to make sure that you're 
going to a provider that can offer that embryology resource. And I think it's becoming very standard, um, but it's a way of freezing the egg that doesn't hurt the egg. The egg is the biggest cell in the human body. It's really, truly amazing. But because of that, if you freeze it slow, it can form ice crystals within the egg, and that harms the egg someday when you go to thaw it. They just wouldn't work to make, a, make an embryo or make a baby, or are less likely to. But this fast freezing method freezes it so quickly that it doesn't allow ice crystals to form within that egg, um, and it makes it much more likely to thaw or warm correctly and not harm the egg. And so the eggs are retrieved from from the woman right. and kept where? Um, the eggs are retrieved from the woman and they're kept in this uh, freezer tank, either here at or a clinic where you do the procedure or there's some long-term storage facilities that women can keep their eggs as well. But they're kept in basically a freezer. Not a freezer like you have at home, <laughs> but a freezer where they don't get freezer burn. Wow, it's just mind-boggling to think of this, but fascinating. Yes. And the procedure, is it really fairly simple? Is it painful? What happens? Yes, so it's um, the process of growing the eggs takes about two weeks, and we mature them inside the body, and we watch them grow under ultrasound guidance, and that process is what the IVF process is. And once they get to a certain size, we go in and collect them. So it's very different than our male partner. We can't, or, you know, counterpart, we can't ejaculate our eggs. So it's less efficient to get them out. So the procedure is called an egg retrieval, and that involves a a small needle like we use to draw blood, but it goes transvaginally. It's an ultrasound-guided procedure, and because it goes through the top of the vagina, the woman goes to sleep for about 10 minutes. No one likes needles in their vagina, so it's much, much nicer to go to sleep for that. And basically, the process sucks out the little eggs um, and the fluid around the egg, and the embryologist right there in the room with us goes through the fluid under the microscope and finds the eggs for us and puts them in the freezer. And this might happen twice. Yes, everyone's a little bit different. That group of eggs that grows, some women can get enough from a single cycle, and others need to do a couple or several cycles to have enough where they feel good about preserving their fertility. And so then these are stored, they're kept in that frozen state until such time. And is there really an ideal, I mean, this is still so new, so perhaps this is constantly changing, but is there at this point an ideal time frame as to when to use the egg? Um, When is a good time to use them? Um, Everyone's different. Some people want to use them in a few years um, or when they have the right partner. Some women will decide to um, that they're ready to have a baby on their own and fertilize the eggs with donor sperm um, and become a single mother by choice. And that's, um, So there's lots of different options for family building. Everyone's very different. And then some women, you know, will have a family and not need to use these eggs. Um, so it's possible to go through the procedure and just never need them, too. And at that point, the eggs would be, I'm going to say, discarded? Right. When, once they're done building their family, they could donate them to a friend or a sister or to science, um, or they could thaw and discard them. Correct. Oh, just really so amazing. And I can see that the advantage here of retrieving one's own eggs would be perhaps 
a feeling of this is better than receiving a donor egg. Right. That's exactly right. So that's what egg freezing provides. When I see a woman in her 40s um, that's unable to conceive using her own eggs, the way medicine gives us and science gives us to fix that is to borrow an egg from someone else, someone younger, to be able to give um, give her a child that she can carry in her womb and be the gestational mother for, but is not a genetic match, identical genetic match. Um, so this allows women to save their own eggs to be a donor for themselves if they're gonna if they end up needing that in the future. Right. Just so fascinating. <laughs> Does it feel like that to you who are doing the work and are in the field? Do you still get the sense of, I guess, awe that this yes. is happening? Well, it's pretty exciting to help someone build their family and have them return with the baby that you helped them make. <laughs> Just really amazing. And so back to the different aspect of this is to really start with a conversation to know that the fertility clinic exists and it's important to start having the discussion to get to the point of uh, having the eggs and the retrieval and all that we've just spoken about. Yes, yes, absolutely. Having that conversation, it's never too early to learn about your fertility and have that conversation. And that's why I think... That's why it's so wonderful to have you available to talk with us this morning, yes. Dr. Lamb. To, I'm happy to. To make us aware that this exists and to really consider that in terms of the that big picture of, of really creating the life that we want. Right, exactly. It just gives you more choices for the future. So, again, the fact that this exists right here in our own community certainly is a wonderful advantage for all of us. And yes. so... The clinic has been in existence now for 10 years here in Seattle, right? Yes, yes, So it has. And that's an important aspect, too, because of uh, that history, the longevity, being able to see what the success rates have been. Right, yeah, that's really important. When you're choosing a clinic and a provider, you want to ask lots of questions about success rates and where the eggs are kept and who's going to be doing the procedure and how the eggs will be frozen all of those are big, important part. And so does that happen with a team, or do people who come to the clinic get kind of positioned with a, a physician who specializes in one particular aspect? Mm-hmm. Well, everyone's a little bit different. We all see um, patients that are interested in uh, preserving their fertility. And, you know, I direct that program because I do a lot of fertility preservation for cancer patients. But all of us reproductive endocrinologists preserve people's fertility, not just here at Pacific Northwest Fertility, but any reproductive endocrinologist can have that conversation with you about what your options are. And you just mentioned an important piece of this when you mentioned having cancer, is that was this perhaps initially the reason it, this all right. began? Yes, it's yeah. exactly the reason. So even before it was kind of standard of care, this this option was offered to patients that needed to go undergo chemotherapy or other treatments that affect their eggs and quality of eggs and number of eggs. Um, so oftentimes, you know, where cancer is getting cured more and more commonly 
And because women are waiting longer in life to create their families, we're seeing more patients that have cancer diagnosis before they've been able to complete their family building. So when a patient gets a new diagnosis of a cancer and needs uh, further treatment with chemotherapy or radiation, they, often the oncologist will send them to us to have a conversation about what their options are for fertility preservation. And that's been going on for years, you know, decades um, in this field. And it wasn't until the fast freezing technique of vitrification that it became a non-experimental treatment. It became more standard of care in 2012. And that's when the Society of Reproductive Medicine kind of put on its, you know, final stamp of approval and said this is so successful now that it should be offered um, to people that are doing it for other reasons. That is really exciting. And yeah, it is exciting. With twenty, then you know, six years. It hasn't yes, been that long. Exactly, and that's what feels so phenomenal. It's almost like living in some distant future, in a way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it is pretty amazing, isn't it? It is. Yes, truly. And so now that it's been accepted more as a standard approach, and you touched a, a bit of mentioning insurance and, and the costs involved, insurance, is it then more readily available? Do they recognize this and will cover it? Yes, probably about a third to half of our patients now have insurance coverage for this kind of treatment. Usually, it, you know, it's not necessarily fair. You know, a lot of it would be nice if everyone had access to this kind of treatment. Um, but that I think this insurance is probably relatively expensive, so it's the tech industry that often can afford that kind of insurance. Ah, uh, yes. Um, that covers it. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a perk that we're seeing. It first came out of San Francisco, and now some of Seattle is offering it as well. So just points of interesting things to note and to be aware of, you know, as we make plans for our lives and and for the future. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In terms of uh, diversity, is this having the infertility, does it fall into certain categories of the diverse population or is it pretty average across the spectrum? Um, Yes, certainly. We see the whole spectrum of ethnicities and socioeconomic status. It's it's available to everyone, but it is cost prohibitive. And so, you know, oftentimes patients can't afford to do it or have to wait and save to do it. You know, we we all learn about, you know, financial um, financial accountability and make plans for our financial futures. And we learn about Roth IRAs and... Um, you know, all of the different savings plans, but we don't ever talk about our fertility um, in that way. So I'm hoping that this becomes um, more of a standard. And when we're, you know, planning our lives, it's something that we could plan for um, and learn about earlier as an option. So it, it doesn't come as such a shock. And I'm also hoping that someday there's kind of universal coverage. So patients can choose based on what's best for them, not based on the financial, the cost of it. Yes, we can always hope and aim for that and do the work that it takes to get there. Yes, we're working hard to make that happen. So if all things being equal, and if we look at the spectrum of women, does ethnicity play into it or is it pretty much, you know, percentage-wise equal across the board where there are challenges with fertility? There are challenges with fertility across 
all ethnic boundaries. So different ethnicities sometimes have different challenges. So in my African-American population, they're a little bit more likely to have fibroids that affect fertility a little bit differently. But yes, I mean, all women can face fertility challenges, and it doesn't change across ethnicity very much. Again, just an interesting aspect of it and good to know about how that works. Right. So in terms of age, again, we touched quite a bit on that, but ideally there is a certain age range and is there an age at which point you would say, physicians would say, no, we can't do it or it's not recommended? Um, You know, you mean after a certain age? Yes. Yeah, so it's always a conversation. So um, a woman over 40 is not going to have as good of a chance as someone who's 35 or even 37. So, but it's always, you know, it's not a hard no. It's more of just a conversation. You know, a woman at 40 is going to have to save more eggs than someone at 35 to achieve a single pregnancy. Um, and everyone's different. Some patients want to do it for sure if it's a 50% chance and others you know, don't want to do it if it's, you know, a lower chance. Everyone's a little bit different in where that threshold is. So it's kind of like learning about the option, learning what your chance of success are based on the current data that's out there, which is, you know, somewhat limited still, um, and making a choice that's right for you. You know, as a woman at 42, she might come with the intent to freeze her eggs and then learn about it a little bit more and learn that it's a much lower chance now that she's 42 and choose to create a family with donor egg instead or borrow an egg from a sister or a cousin or anonymously. So there's a lot of ways to build families that a lot of patients haven't ever considered before. And once they have all the information, they're in a better position to do that. So we know having the conversation, having the information is certainly important. And Yeah, and, and it's it, not the same for everybody, for yeah. sure. So how do you recommend that a person, a family, an individual reaches out? Do they need a referral or can they contact the clinic? It depends on their insurance. Oftentimes they can just reach out to the fertility specialist and make an appointment. And that's most commonly how it happens. Occasionally we'll say, oh, actually you need a referral and they can go back and get that. Um, But just having that conversation even with your provider, just saying, hey, I want to build a family one day. What do you think? And if they can't answer their question, your questions, then they'll send you to a fertility specialist. And it's always fine to come and seek out a reproductive endocrinologist. That's what we do all day is help people learn about these things. Wow, very powerful. Yeah, knowledge (laughs) is really empowering. And learning about your options, even if you decide not to act on them, puts you in a better position to better, you know, to take advantage of all your options or plan your family building. Yes, Yes, absolutely. Not leaving it to chances. Right. Right. And I saw on your website where another way to have this conversation or begin it is that you offer a evening seminar, Fertility 101. Yes. So women can come and learn about their fertility um, in a kind of a non-imposing way. It's, you know, sometimes it can feel a little bit scary walking in the door and talking to a fertility doctor. This is, allows you to just kind of... Um, sit back and relax, ask your questions, learn from what other people ask, um, and just kind of learn about what the process is like in a kind of a non-intimidating way. 
Uh, we also do some free phone consults. Some of our providers um, will talk on the phone and answer patients' questions um, before they come in. Um, oftentimes, insurance covers that initial consult to learn about and do testing of your fertility. So that's much more common than covering the actual procedure of IVF. Um, probably 80 to 90% of insurances will cover um, coming in and having that conversation. Oh, all of this is yeah. so is, <laughs> is so exciting, and and just uh, there's a sense of relief as to knowing that maybe there's been a family history of challenges with giving birth, and so this is a way to really find new options right. and uh, see that the future is right here upon us. Right, right. There's a lot more reasons than just delaying your fertility to seek out a care of a fertility specialist. You know, people don't often think about how other factors affect their fertility. So if someone's, you know, having painful periods or knows they have endometriosis, then they should see someone sooner. Or if their mom went through menopause or if their mother had difficulty conceiving, um, then that's a very good reason to see somebody earlier. Exactly. Well, I think we've had an opportunity to have you give us a great overview, Dr. Julie Lamb. You do such important and great work, and I am certainly grateful that you've given us this much of your time this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Kate. Oh, you are so welcome, and uh, continued success for many more new babies. Thank you. And the website you want to visit is pnwfertility.com.